Well, Merry Christmas. Why don't you guys join us for worship this morning? morning to worship you God you are so worthy of our praise every morning every evening God you're good thank you God Clean 
Jesus, that in this season, Jesus isn't just the reason for this season, but every season, amen. He's the reason for every day, every day we live, it's for him.
That was just so sweet. Let's just, <clears throat> the band's just going to play that chorus a little. Let's just lift our hands and let's just worship him and sing in other tongues and lift our voices unto him. We worship you, Brisibri Man and Divi Majuni Basure. Isumri Benibi Pashikri Safana Devari Badagi Machini Maske. Andre Lerene Masone Lerene. Jesus, we worship you. We magnify you. Glory to your name, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Our rock, our fortress, in you do we trust. Blessed be his name. Glory and honor unto you. Our King, our Lord, our Savior, our rock, we will not be moved. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, Paul told Timothy, uh, Timothy was a young man and Paul was his father in, in the faith. And he encouraged him to stir up the gift of God on the inside of him. Hallelujah. And you know, sometimes if you just don't feel like shouting, you need to shout. And sometimes when you just don't feel like praying, you need to pray. And sometimes when you just don't feel like speaking the word, you declare it. And I tell you, usually when I get up in the morning and I go somewhere, 
I'm a lady, I won't say where. I declare as I'm doing it, Lord, you are my rock and I am in you and I will not be moved. The, you are my strength, you are my song and just declare his word, hallelujah. You have to stare fear in the face and shout the victory at it. Hallelujah. So, whether you feel like it today or not, just go out of your comfort zone a little bit. And we're going to lift up our voices and shout to the Lord. Hallelujah. For He is our victory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You are our victory, Lord. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Blessed be His name. Hallelujah. 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 Ha, 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 ha. Oh, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Hallelujah. 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 Ha, 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 ha. Ha, ha. Oh, Jesus is wonderful. Jesus is wonderful. He is the rock of my salvation. We will not be moved. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, the victorious church, the church of glory and of power and of might. We are in you, O oh Lord, and you are in us. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah. The Lord, amen. Amen, hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. A scripture that came to me on the way to church today was, oh, wait. I have a few floating through my mind right now. I wrote it down. Sorry, guys. Oh, I didn't write it down. I screenshotted it. Oh, yeah. Here it is. Thou therefore, my son, be strong. That is in, the, that is, uh, I'm st starting over again. Hold on. I take off the glasses so I can see it. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Thou therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Hallelujah. We are soldiers, and we are strong in the grace that's in him. Hallelujah. Because you know, life really is about pleasing him. Amen. Amen. He is good. Praise the Lord. Well, we want, we are so glad that you're here today. Welcome. And we're so glad for our church family that's watching. And so Ben's going to shoot that camera around and everybody wave, wave at our church family that's at home today. Hello, church family. We love you. And uh, then, uh, then you may uh, wave at somebody or give them an elbow bump or whatever it is you want to do after you've done that. Smile real big, and after you've done that, well, then you may be seated. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's good to be together. 
Thank God for his presence in our midst. Thank God for his spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit who lives with us and empowers us. Amen. Did the children leave? I need to tell them, I'm sorry, I'm late. The children may leave and go to their class. They are going to have a happy birthday Jesus party today. Isn't that great? Yeah. We always do that one Sunday in December for them to teach them what Christmas is all about. Um, uh, let's see. We wanted to let you know uh, just a couple of updates for our orphanage Christmas project. We had $16,543 come in toward that. Hallelujah. So we sent the money. We had a little bit of money come later, and we'll send them an additional check. But we contacted all of the people that we were sending it to. Um, we sent it to Tanzania, which will give you some reports on some of these uh, in the upcoming weeks and let you know some things about it. Uh, Tanzania, Haiti, <clears throat> Nepal, the Philippines, a, a number of them in Romania, and Mexico and India. So, praise the Lord. The, the missionaries that we contacted were all very overwhelmed, and um, our money goes such a long way in all of those countries. So, we're, we're just so blessed about that. Then, also, the response for the Christmas dinner and food for families has also been, as I said last week, overwhelming. Um, we gave out a lot of food this week. We still have a little bit more to give out, and we have even more food than what we need. How about that? So, so what we're going to do is we're going to keep it, and then as the need arises, we're going to give that out, and then we're going to check back with some of the families that we've given to in a few weeks, and we're going to see how they're doing. And so that's how we thought. There's a local food pantry um, that we thought about just giving everything to, but then after thinking about it, we thought, no, we're just going to keep it in our church family and with the people that we have contact with. And so that's what we're going to do with for the remaining food, and we still have a some gift cards left as well. So we're going to check back with those families. Because, you know, a lot of times people give at Christmas, but then they forget about everybody in January. So that's what we're going to do. But again, thank you, everybody, to our church family. The response has been overwhelming, and, um, and it just shows the, the love of God that's in our church and the, uh, the doers of the word of, that of God that are in our church <clears throat> um, Christmas Eve service will be here at the church, and also we're going to live stream it, which will be the first time we've done that, um, just due to the situation that we're in right now. So, um, so that will be here at the church. If you want to attend here, it's at 6 o'clock, and if you want to watch at home, then you can watch it on the live stream as well. And I know there are a lot of churches that are not having service on December 27th. Not us. We're going to be here, and we're having church, and we, we have church even on Christmas Day. So, like, two days after, the food is digested by then. So, yes, we're, we're going to be here next Sunday. Praise the Lord. And then, um, uh, just to let you know, we had some more books come in this week that we've been sharing about this month by Rick Renner, Tony Cook, the God's Generals books for children, and um, there are some others that we mentioned. They are, they are restocked in the bookstore, so you can stop by there um, for those, and it's 20% uh, off everything in the bookstore, and um, 
So then, then the last thing we want to um, let you know is that for those of you who give by uh, texting to give, or you give, uh, or maybe you give online at our website, foothillfamily.com. We have been kind of letting everybody know who gives that way that we are going with a new company effective January the 1st. Um, and we've let everybody know about, about it, who, you know, pretty much we think. Um, but, uh, and if you go to the website, it'll, there won't be any issues there at all. But if you've been using the text to give, um, and they can just throw that up on the screen. There is a new way to do the text to give. Um, we found that this company was a great company. It's going to save the church some money. And um, so we're just switching over to this. And we shouldn't be switching anymore now for a long, long time. And um, so anyway, just want to make you aware of that so that if you have been using a text to give or something, that it's a new, we've been letting people know for a few months, but it's just a new, a new way to do it. And so be sure you don't give, because sometimes some people have, uh, we had some uh, people contacted us, they gave, <laughs> they gave to the wrong church. And um, I'm not sure how that happened, but anyway, there's other churches that are named similar to us. And so you have to be really careful how you do that. So Fortunately, that church is used to getting all our offerings, and so they just shoot us checks. <laughs> not really, not really. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. We thank you for this season, and we lift up our church family to you and the families represented in our church to you, Lord. And we thank you for strengthening them. We lift them up. We thank you for restoration in our families. We thank you for peace. We thank you for divine protection. Our homes are covered with the blood of Jesus, the doorpost of the blood of Jesus we claim over our homes and over our families. Protection from sickness and disease supernatural recoveries, and divine provision, O oh Lord. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Clarissa is going to come and bless us.
Thank you, Clarissa. It was beautiful. Let's all stand together. While you're standing, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the greatness of your majesty. We thank you for the overflowing mercy that you have toward us. We thank you, Father, for the blessed Holy Spirit that's here among us, who dwells within us who teaches us, and who guides us into all truth. We thank you, Father, for opening the eyes of our spirits this morning so that we see you and see who we are in you in a way like we never have before. We ask these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'll invite you to turn to two openings of Scripture. Genesis chapter 1. And Matthew chapter 7. Normally this being the Sunday before Christmas. I would be looking for some beautiful story about the birth of Jesus. But we live in a different day than we did just last year. Last year we were frustrated with the impeachment hearings. And politics and other things related, therefore, or thereto. But this year, we're facing an attempt to exercise control over the people of America, particularly the church. Something that we've never seen before. And what we do and how we conduct ourselves in this time will determine to a great degree the fulfilling of Jesus' instructions to us about the last days. So we want to talk about something that Jesus talked about. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. The Bible tells us very clearly, very specifically, that God created man to have authority on the earth. Now, God never changes, and God's will never changes, so if that was God's will to begin with, it has to be His will today. Psalm 115, verse 16, I believe it is. 
said the heavens, even the heavens are the Lord. But the earth has he made for the children of men. Now in Matthew chapter 7, we see how Jesus incorporated authority into the teaching that he did at the end of the Mount, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which most Bible scholars agree was the finest, most complete teaching on man's position here on the earth as anything that, that was ever said. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus said, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Folks, I want you to realize that Jesus is telling you, telling us all, that destruction or victory is entirely up to us. Jesus didn't say, therefore, I will liken those who God loves to be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. There's no inf information, there's no indication to us that your relationship with God, as far as your love for him or his love for you, has any bearing whatsoever in whether or not you live victoriously or you're destroyed by the circumstances of life. God loves the people that are being destroyed even by a lack of knowledge just as much as he loves the person that's walking in the word and standing upon it in his life. It comes down to our choice, our decision, what we are determined to have. Now let's keep reading a little bit further Verse 28, and it came to pass when Jesus had ended these things, the people were astonished at his doctrine. Notice it doesn't say they were astonished at him or his power. They were astonished at his doctrine, the things that he taught. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Literally in, in the Greek, it says or it means he taught them how to hold authority. He taught them how to hold authority. See, folks, if, if Jesus was just the person that everybody was astonished at because of his miracles, then it wouldn't have made much difference what he taught. But they were astonished at his doctrine, at his teaching, because he taught them how to hold authority. We might say it this way to make it a little clearer. He taught them how to exercise authority. He taught them how to exercise authority. Now turn with me just real quickly to the next chapter of Matthew, Matthew chapter 8. And let's read beginning with verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lies at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou should come under my roof. 
but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Now, folks, I want you to see that there's a bridge here, that the Word of God gives us information on how authority can be bridged or exercised to our benefit. This man's great faith was the result of him understanding authority. It's certainly not coincidental in my thinking that this story should be right on the heels of what the Bible tells us in the previous chapter, in chapter 7, the end of chapter 7, about how that Jesus taught them how to exercise authority. Now here's a man that's exercising authority. And Jesus marvels and says, I've not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. The implication seems to be that he expected to find it in Israel. The implication is he expected to find it among the people of God. But here he finds it in a Gentile. And his understanding of authority prompts Jesus to say that there'll be others outside of the natural descendants of Israel coming from the east and west to maintain or to exercise this kind of authority that results in great faith. Now, what was it this man understood about authority? Well, notice the example he uses. He says, I'm a man under authority. And I say to one to do this, and he does it. I speak to the soldiers under me, and they obey my commands. I speak to my servants, and they obey my commands. What he understood about authority was that it is exercised by words. So he says to Jesus, speak the word only. That's all I need. Just speak the word only. It's not necessary for you to come to my house. He understood something else about authority. He understood that time and distance has no bearing on authority that's exercised. So he tells Jesus, you don't need to come to my house. I'm not worthy that you would come. But speak the word only and my servant will be healed. Speak the word only and my servant will be healed. Whoso whoso is a doer of the word is like a man that builds his house on a rock. This guy built his house on a rock because of the words that he spoke, because of his understanding that words carry power, even over unseen forces like sickness and disease. He said, that's all I need. Speak the word only. Now, folks, the Bible gives us examples of people who succeeded in in impossible circumstances. But it also gives us examples of people that failed to exercise authority or failed to maintain their authority. 
and found destruction in their lives. Let's look at a couple of these. Turn back with me to Numbers chapter 13. Now, while you're turning there, let me make a couple of comments. It's, I'm tempted to say that it's a sidetrack, but it's really not. It's the main line for our, uh, those of us that have determined to be doers of the word. Paul said, writing to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, he said, This know, son Timothy, that in the last days perilous times shall come. We've talked about that word perilous. It means dangerous, but it also means strength reducing. And then he goes on to tell about how people will, will act or the things that they'll do or the way that they will be in the last days. Now, his whole purpose for telling us these things and for writing to Timothy, as he was inspired by the Holy Ghost to do, the purpose is to tell Timothy and keep a record for us so that we would know to recognize the last days when, when they arrive. And they have certainly arrived. And everything about what Paul told Timothy is the, the dangerous times, the perilous times, the strength-reducing times will change men's behavior. And he's telling Timothy for the point, to, to make the point, don't get swept up with what everybody else is doing. Don't let your behavior be changed. We hear a lot about climate change. And there's a lot of false information out there about the earth and the condition of the earth and what's going to happen in so many years or months or whatever. But there's a spiritual climate too. See, there are times where we're just tempted of the devil. And those times of temptation, we're instructed to resist by our faith or standing in our own faith. But then there are other times where the spiritual climate of the whole country, congregation, group, whatever it happens to pertain to, where that spiritual climate changes. One of the things Jesus said in Matthew 24 when he was talking to his disciples about the end times, he said in verse 12, Matthew 24, verse 12, he said, and because of iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now, why is he telling us that? Why does he make that an example or a part of his description of the last days? He's trying to instruct us, don't let the circumstances change who we are. Let me show you a spiritual climate change in Numbers chapter 13. Moses sends the 12 spies into the promised land to spy out the land, and they return from searching of the land after 40 days. This is verse 25. Verse 26, And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them and said, We came unto the land whether thou sentest us. And surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Well, that's what God had told them. I'm leading you to a 
a land of milk and honey. Now, if we go back to the original place where God started talking to Moses, appeared to him in the burning bush, there were three separate times that God told Moses, and Moses therefore told the children of Israel who the land belonged to that they were being sent. He told them because God had revealed it to him that it was the land where the Amalekites were and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and whoever else were the owners of the land, the possessors of the land. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a surprise to find people in the land just as it wasn't a surprise to find that it was a land of milk and honey. The land was what God had already told them it was. So they come back and they showed the fruit and they agreed with what God said it is surely a land that flows with milk and honey. Verse 28, Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there the Amalekites dwelt in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Now the only thing they've reported so far, meaning the ten spies, the only thing they've reported so far is the people are strong that are in the land. That's all they've said up to this point. But, but Caleb apparently begins to see this going in the wrong direction. Because he speaks up and says, wait a minute, we can overcome them. We don't have to be concerned about how strong they are or what military might they have. It was just about two years before this that they had come out of Egypt and Pharaoh's army, which was the great, Egypt was the superpower of the world at that time. The greatest army, greatest military force on the face of the earth was decimated and destroyed when they tried to come in after them in the parting of the Red Sea. Two years, just two years before, God had on their, on their behalf destroyed the greatest military force on the face of the earth. So why should they be concerned about these people? Have they forgotten? Well, they sure haven't forgotten about their, their time of captivity in Egypt. They referenced that in their complaints. But Caleb says, let's go up and take the land for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Well, wasn't Pharaoh's army stronger than them? And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is the land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Now, folks, up to this point, there's only been communication 
by a number of the 12 spies that went into the land. We don't know if there was one spokesman for the 10 that said we are not able to take the land or if this is just a summarization of all 10 that are speaking up and say, yeah, but we all saw the same thing. And then on top of that, we see Caleb speaking. We know he represented the position of both himself and Joshua. So it could be that there were just two people that had voiced their opinions or their belief. Or maybe there were more than just the one who was speaking on behalf of the ten. But the congregation hadn't made a decision yet. Now I would submit to you that this is a spiritual climate change from normal conditions of normalcy. Because what they do now is going to affect everything for the, the future of the, the race, the descendants of Abraham. So what are they going to do? Verse four, uh, chapter 14. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto him, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore has the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun which is, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us a land which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel ye not against the Lord. Apparently they haven't made the final decision yet. It's not too late to turn this around. Only rebel ye not against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But the spiritual climate is such that now there's almost a, a hysteria to agree with the ten spies. Now, folks, what is required of these people? We know after the children of Israel wander in the wilderness for 40 years, come right back to this same place when all the congregation or the generation from age 20 and up have died in the wilderness. We know from what God led Joshua to do in, in bringing them into the promised land and defeating all the enemies of Israel. We know how they did that. It starts off by telling us how that the walls of Jericho fell down before them. Nobody even had to throw a rock. Then it tells us about how the other 
inhabitants of, the, of Canaan land were destroyed. And the only time that Israel even lost a person in battle is when they had disobeyed God and they had committed sin. Other than that, they won victories without ever losing one life. With God, there's no such thing as collateral damage. With God, it's all victory all the time. So what is commanded of these people? What are they afraid of? What does God intend for them? We know it's the will of God for them to enter into the promised land. We know that was the purpose for God bringing them out of Egypt and bringing them to this place just across the Jordan River from the land that's been promised to them. What is required of them? There's only one thing that's required of them, and that is to not let the circumstances change who they are. Folks, that's building your house on the rock. Building your house on the rock is refusing to let circumstances change who you are and what you believe about God. That's what they refuse to do. They refuse to not be changed by the spiritual climate. Verse 10, they make their final decision. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be before they believe me for all the signs which I have shown unto them? I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of thee, talking to Moses, I will make of thee a great nation and mightier than they. Now, if you're Moses, you could be looking at this like, well, I've got good news and I've got bad news. The bad news is the children of Israel this two to seven million band of people have chosen to refuse to take the land that God said was theirs. But on the other hand, God can start over, intends to start over with me and make it a stronger nation than the one that exists now. But Moses, showing his leadership and love for the people, in spite of the fact that they've murmured against him on several occasions and would continue to for the next 40 years, he says, God, you can't do that. If you do that, if you wipe these people out, then everybody will say it's because you weren't strong enough to bring them into the promised land. The people in the promised land knew that the promised land was theirs. Theirs meaning Israel's. You remember 40 years later when the two spies go into the city of Jericho to spy out the land. They meet Rahab the harlot. And she tells them, we know this land is yours. 
We've known that for the last 40 years because we heard how God parted the Red Sea for you and destroyed the, the armies of Pharaoh. 40 years later, they're still hanging on to the same truth that they knew at this point in time in Numbers chapter 13. I think the biggest surprise for the inhabitants of the promised land had to have been when Israel went, turned and went away from the promised land. They see themselves, Israel sees themselves as grasshoppers. But the possessors, the inhabitants of the promised land look at Israel as being their conquerors before they ever even get there. Paul told the church, wrote to the church in Romans, he said, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Your enemy sees you as a conqueror. And he just works over time to try to keep you from seeing it too. But that's a spiritual climate change. He does everything he can to influence the spiritual climate to change hoping that it changes you. Now, the Old Testament is, is full of stories where people face the same circumstances and they handle it in a much different way. You remember the story of Joseph. Joseph, even after being sold into slavery by his brothers, even after being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, even after being forgotten in the prison until he was called up before Pharaoh. He never let those circumstances change him. He went from one situation to the next situation to the next situation, and all of them worse than the ones before. But he never let it change who he is. We looked recently at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who refused to bow down and worship Nebuchadnezzar's image. He threatens them. He threatens to throw them into the burning fiery furnace. And they said, well, if you do, God will deliver us. But know this, if you don't throw us in, we're still not going to worship your image. They didn't let the spiritual climate, which was changed by Nebuchadnezzar's fury and the rage that he entered into because of the way they dealt with him, because of the things that these three Hebrew children told him. They refused to allow the circumstances to change who they were or what they believed. That's the reason why I brought up and mentioned the verse of Scripture in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12 where Jesus said, talking about the condition of people in the last days just before his return. He said, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. He tells us that the spiritual climate will change 
even as Paul said that men will wax worse and worse. But we can't even, we can't let that, even that, change who we are. The Bible describes the fight of faith as a good fight when we base our lives on the word and build our lives on the rock of God's word. But really, if you look at it, the fight we fight is the fight of standing. We don't have to defeat the devil. Jesus already did that. And he gives us authority over the devil and all of his works and says that nothing shall by any means hurt us. But that good fight of faith, even the Bible, even though the Bible calls it a fight, that fight is really one that's fought within ourselves. As the devil tries to influence us to change who we are and to be someone that compromises instead of someone that stands strong. And that standing strong, Paul said right into the, the Ephesians, having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. That's what these three Hebrew children did. They've already made up their mind before Pharaoh ever called them in. I, I'm sorry, before Nebuchadnezzar ever called them in. Before it was even found out that they hadn't been worshiping the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up and commanded people to worship. So that when they're called into question and threatened, they answered in this manner. They said, we are not careful to answer thee, O King Nebuchadnezzar. They've already made their determination that they're going to be people that stand and won't change no matter what's done to them. So the good fight of faith is really the fight to stand firm upon God's word no matter who does what or what comes next. So Moses convinces God to stick with Israel and work with them no matter what. He says in Numbers chapter 14, verse 19, he said, Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of thy mercy. And as thou hast forgiven these people from Egypt even until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. This phrase, as truly as I live, has meaning, has very significant meaning. It means that just like God lives, so is this thing that he promises just as true and just as certain. There are two characteristics about God that make him who he is. One is that he's eternal. And the other is that he never changes. So when he says, as truly as I live, he's saying this is an eternal, unchanging principle of God. Here's an eternal and unchanging promise 
And what is that promise? All the earth shall be filled with the glory of God. He goes on to talk about the ten spies that have tempted him ten times. In other words, each one brought him a, a, a temptation. And the temptation was for God to change because of what they saw and what they believed. They've robbed him of something. They've robbed him of the opportunity to glorify himself through them. They've robbed him of gaining glory and receiving glory through the children of Israel. Now, when he says, as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with his glory, he gets back on track with that 40 years later when Joshua leads the children of Israel into the promised land. But folks, I want you to understand something. God gives you his word and strengthens you in his word when you make the determination to build your house, to build your life on the rock of the word. From that point, when we make that decision, it is the will of God and it is the purpose of God to show his glory through you. Now, you don't have to fight for that glory to be seen. In fact, if we had to fight, then that would mean that what Jesus did wasn't sufficient. He needs our help too. But that couldn't be any further away from the truth. So our fight then becomes a stand, a refusal to change, no matter what we see, no matter what we hear, no matter what takes place around us or who fails to follow God for themselves. Our job is very simply to stand. Stand if you feel that things have gotten worse. Stand if you see other people flaking out. Because, folks, the spiritual climate has changed such a, to such a degree even now that we're seeing people do strange and flaky things, completely out of character for themselves. And they may not even know why they're doing it. But the spiritual climate is changing. It's already changed. And I think it's got a lot further to go and will continue to change. Verse 22, because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened unto my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers. Neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him. What's he talking about? He's talking about somebody that refused to change no matter what the climate, the spiritual climate was. Because he had another spirit with him and has followed me fully, him will I bring into this land whereunto he, whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn you and get you into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. 
And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Say unto them, here's this phrase again, as truly as I live. Here's another eternal and unchanging promise. As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. What's God telling Moses about the children of Israel? What does Moses convey to the children of Israel? Very simply, he says, you've exercised your authority against the will of God and not for it. Now, folks, it's an eternal and unchanging promise. It's an eternal and unchanging law of God. Now, remember... We looked at Matthew chapter 8, the centurion. He said, speak the word only, for I understand authority. I understand that authority is exercised by words that are spoken. I understand that authority means that your commands are carried out. They are apparently just finding that out. As I have spoken, as you have spoken in my ears, God says, so will I do unto you. Turn now to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11 is the story of the fig tree that Jesus cursed. He speaks to it. He says, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. The next morning, they pass by that place. And they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Verse 21, And Peter calling to remembrance said unto him, Master, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. One translation says, Have the God kind of faith. Well, what kind of faith would God have other than the God kind of faith? He's explaining to the disciples how this miracle result took place. He says to the disciples who clearly heard him speak to the tree. Now, I don't know if Jesus spoke to all the trees that he came upon. But apparently it was different enough to draw the attention of the disciples and to commit it to memory. The fig tree which you cursed is withered away. In other words, your words have come to pass. That's the kind of faith that the centurion showed Jesus that he had. And Jesus called it great faith. So Jesus says, have faith in God. Another translation says, reckon on God's faithfulness. Verse 23 is going to describe what that kind of faith looks like. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he sh sh saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, folks, what's the difference 
in what God said in Numbers chapter 14, verse 28. As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto you. What's the difference in that in Mark chapter 11, verse 23? For whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Here's the unchanging and eternal law of God being spoken by Jesus himself saying you will have what you say. You will have what you say. Verse 24 goes on to describe to us how this unchanging and eternal law of God works in prayer. Therefore I say unto you what things soever you desire. When you pray believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now, some people say that Mark 11, 24 doesn't apply to everybody. It's not for everybody. But the subject of verse 24 is prayer. Is prayer not for everybody? He's talking about our words. What things soever you desire. When you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Believe that your prayers are answered and your prayers will be answered. Be believe that God heard and answered your prayer and God will hear and answer your prayer. Turn back with me to Mark chapter 5. Verse 25, And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue or power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And the disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace, and be whole of thy plague. Notice Jesus did not credit the power of God that went out of him and into her as being the, the result or the reason why she was healed. He credited her faith as being the healing agent that turned things around for her in her body. There's a lot of talk among Christians and in Christian circles about whether it's the will of God to heal everybody is healing in the atonement. And folks, if you bypass all the theological discussions, you can see very clearly that this woman's faith made her whole. It was not something that Jesus sought her out. It was not something that Jesus was instructed by the Father God to perform this great healing act. 
Jesus did not even know who it was until she came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. He knew somebody had pulled power out of him, but he didn't know who or for what. And he has to stop and look around to find out. But notice that he told her in verse 34, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. How do we know she had faith? Well, when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind because she started saying, If I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. What did she get? She got exactly what she said. Now, folks, if you notice, Jesus said, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. If her faith made her whole, then your faith can make you whole. Because God is no respecter of persons. He wants the same goodness and same good results for every one of his children. Not every one of his children are going to accept them. Not every one of his children are going to build their house on the rock. There's a lot of Christians that are going to get swept away by the rain and the flood and the storms of life. But remember, according to what Jesus said, that's our choice, not his or not God's. God made a choice for his children to walk in perfect health and to experience complete victory. And that's why he sent Jesus to the earth to accomplish those very things. But it's still our choice what we will have. How do we exercise our choice? How do we exercise our authority? Through the words that we say. She got exactly what she said. Everybody in, Deuteron- in uh, uh, Numbers chapter 13 and 14 got exactly what they said. The congregation lifted up their voices and wept and said it would be better for us to die in the wilderness. And that's exactly what they got. Caleb and Joshua said we can take the land. And they did. They were delayed 40 years, but they got exactly what they said. It's an eternal and unchanging law. You will have what you say. If you don't like what you've got, change what you're saying. Quit praying for God to change your situation and start operating according to the eternal and unchanging law that he set forth. Only two times does God make the statement, as truly as I live. Only two laws are established in that manner. The one is the law of you'll have what you say. And the other is the law of God's glory shall be seen and known in all the earth. When Brother Hagin was struggling to understand how to receive his healing. One of the things that the Lord asked him was the question that I just posed to you. He was meditating on some of these things. He's meditating on Mark chapter 5. And the Lord asked him, he said, did you notice that this woman was healed on her own faith? He responded and said, no, I didn't notice that. And the Lord said, if her faith made her whole, then your faith can make you whole. 
And then he asked him this question. He said, have you ever heard anybody say that faith's been done away with? He replied, no, I've never heard anybody say that. A lot of people argue about whether healing is for us, but I've never heard anybody say that faith's been done away with. And the Lord responded to him and said, and you never will. For if faith has been done away with, there is no church, there are no Christians. Because Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, for by, for by faith are you saved. For by faith are you saved. See, if faith's been done away with, then there can't be any salvation. But since faith hasn't been done away with, just as her faith made her whole, your faith can make you whole. Just as her faith brought her into victory, your faith can bring you into victory too. Now, folks, I want to close with 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And again, I'll remind you of Matthew 24, verse 12. And because iniquity shall abound, talking about the last days, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. What does that tell us? That tells us that Satan is going to try to attack the love walk of the church. If we know that, then we can prepare for it. And when we talk about the subject of faith or the exercise of authority, I think most people, just basic human nature, think about how to change their circumstances. Change the circumstances of their body, for example. And that's a good thing. God wants us to walk in health. Or they may think about changing the circumstances of their financial standing. And that's good too. Psalm 35 verse 27 says, The Lord delights in the prosperity of his servant. God wants you to have plenty. He wants you to have enough for you and your family and enough for us to be able to give to help others. Because that's where the real joy in life comes in. But have you ever thought about using your faith to change you? See, the word of God is true in every respect. So when God says, as truly as I live, as you have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto you. We can and should use the word to change ourselves to such a degree that we show the love of God in every respect and to every person. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us what the love of God looks like. I'm going to read it from the Amplified, beginning in verse 4. Love endures long and is patient and kind. A lot of people endure long because they don't have any choice. But are they patient and kind while they, while they are enduring? Love is never envious, nor bowls over with jealousy. It is not base, boastful or vainglorious. It does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude or unmannerly. 
and does not act unbecomingly. Love, that is God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. Notice it doesn't say love doesn't have rights. It says the love of God doesn't insist on those rights. In other words, the love of God is always willing to yield. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it, and it pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails. It never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. You want to change your life? Make that a part of your daily confession. The Bible says God's love is shed abroad in our hearts and was shed abroad in our hearts from the time we were born again. But what we do about developing the love of God in us is up to us. Love is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Folks, that's the measuring stick for the love of God. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It rejoices when right and truth prevail. It believes the best of every person. It bears up under anything and everything that comes. In other words, the love of God developed in our own lives keep us from being changed no matter how the spiritual climate changes. It keeps us in a place where God can use us, where God can speak to us and reveal his plan and purpose for our lives. Folks, we've got a, a spiritual climate. We're living in a spiritual climate that causes people that don't know God or maybe even Christians who know God as Savior but don't know anything else about his word. We're living in a time where peace is going to become the greatest commodity there is. I'd hate to be living in these days without God. What do you do? If you don't have the hope of God to deliver you, what do you do? One thing is certain about the devil as he increases his work, and that is that uncertainty rises. But we have a certainty. We have something to believe in. We have a God that's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. 
we've got a promise from God that we can rise to the top no matter what's happening around us. Not everybody has that. Not every Christian has that. We need to be aware of that. And we need to be ready to share that love of God with them. So that they can gain peace for themselves and peace in their own lives and in their families. Folks, the devil is just beginning his work and his activity for the last days. But we don't have to let that affect us. Having done all to stand, we stand. When the storms of life carry others away, we stand strong. And when it's all said and done, we're the ones left with the victory of God. That's what these communion elements represent. They represent the work that Jesus did to bring us total and complete victory. Victory over sin. Victory over sickness. Victory over poverty and lack. Victory over worry and stress. Total and complete victory is ours. Gentlemen, would you come forward, please? Taking one or two.
Thank you, Clarissa. Paul said, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord this Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks for it, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for this bread that represents the body of Jesus. We thank you that he was bruised for our iniquities. He was wounded for our transgressions. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. We receive you, Lord Jesus, as our healer, just as we receive you as Savior. Let's partake of the bread. After the same manner, also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you do show the Lord's death till he come Father we thank you for this cup that represents the blood of Jesus shed for us we thank you Father that by the blood of Jesus we're made righteous our righteousness is of you we thank you therefore Father that we are free from the law of sin and death for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has freed us. Thank you, Father, for your mercy. Thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you, Father, that we are as righteous as Jesus himself because of the shedding of his precious blood. Let's receive the cup. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's all stand, please. Lord, we worship you. We magnify your holy name. Thank you, Father, 
for the authority that we have to declare your word to be true and to receive in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that this holiday season would be the best that these people have ever had. Because it's not about gifts and toys. It truly is about you. Thank you that we have the victory. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. We bless you, Holy Father. And we magnify your name. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, God bless you, folks. Thanks for being with us.